Welcome to Nika in the Know, a podcast for healthcare providers in the HIV field. I'm Mariana Breitman. Today, we're talking about common drug interactions with HIV medications. With me, as always, is John Farragon. So, John, why is this such an important topic? Well, first of all, thanks again for having me um, on to speak about drug interactions. And, you know, I think as background to this, I think everybody knows that drug interactions with HIV meds are, are, are important. And I think you know, I think to understand how they happen, I think is always an important important piece of what we do. Um, as a pharmacist, you know, one of the most common questions I get is, you know, I want to use these drugs and what's going to happen if I use them together. So most importantly, I think to understand uh, a little bit on pharmacokinetics is it would be helpful. And really when, when we talk about pharmacokinetics of drugs, it's really um, how medications interact. And, and these alterations that occur usually happen to one of the uh, the four the four P parts of uh, uh, of pharmacokinetics, which are absorption, distribution, metabolism, and, and elimination. So some inter- interactions are, are are a little bit different, and we call them pharmacodynamic ones. We won't, we won't cover those today, but really most of the interactions that we deal with um, by by nature are are commonly in in this whole uh, pharmacokinetic arena, and again affecting absorption, distribution, metabolism, and elimination. So. Um, the interactions that have happened through these PK mechanisms are, are relatively common in HIV disease, as many of you who are doing HIV um, understand. And the nice thing about that is that because HIV uh, drug interactions have been around for a long time, a lot of the, lot of the key drugs that will interact have been worked out and really the, the mechanisms and, and what actually will happen is understood and, and figured out. Um, in fact, many of the interacting drugs are studied prior to even medications getting to the market now. So Based on those interaction studies that are often required by the FDA, uh, we can um, we can use those studies to help predict what will happen with other medications that haven't been studied. Uh, so one of the hardest things to predict, however, um, if you look at the drug interaction studies, it's normally just one drug is combined with another one, and then they look at the changes. But what happens when you have three, four, or even sometimes five medications combined that are all interacting together? And that's where it's really more difficult for us to, us to figure out. Um, Common places where this happens with if you're managing tuberculosis with HIV, uh, some of the transplant medications can also be uh, 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 commonly cause some of these similar conundrums. But at the end of the day, I think we do have reputable databases and we'll talk about those at the end. Uh, but one thing is really clear, you have to have some understanding of the interactions um, if you're gonna be involved with, with, uh, with HIV care, um, or at least have databases to use to look them up or, or have a pharmacist that, that you can use to help. Um, and I bring this up, uh, just because of the ATC, we, we have resources for you. So the ATC can help you with this. We can help not only with clinical consultation, but also with some of the guides that we have and some of the slide kits that can help um, with our national curriculum that are available for, uh, to help you. Um, again, the clinical consultation locally in your region and nationally via the National Clinical Consultation Center, those are all places where you can go to get information to, to help understand what's happening with drug interactions for the patient that's in front of you. John, can you expand on the concepts around drug interactions? I mean, how do they occur? Yeah, so this is, you know, kind of the kind of, uh, as, I, as I mentioned before, a little bit on pharmacokinetics or PK interactions. They, these are the, the, the most common, common ones. Um, some of the most clinically significant interactions that are, um, that are 
um, that are occurring in, in common medicine today and in, in modern medicine are mediated by the cytochrome P450 system. And again, that's kind of a mouthful for people who don't do this every day, but um, the P450 system is really a super family uh, of enzymes that are responsible for the metabolism of most of the drugs that are actually out there on the market, probably 50, 60% of them, if not more. And so while there are many different um, cytochrome P450 proteins, there's a couple of them that are really important for drug metabolism. And, and there's really um, essentially four families, the CYP1, CYP2, CYP3, and then, and then uh, the CYP3, 4 really has the greatest impact on, on, drug, and, on, on drug metabolism uh, with antiretrovirals. So just as an example, other enzymes uh, in the P450 uh, family, some common ones are the CYP1A2, CYP2C19, CYP2D6. So again, all these numbers that, that are out there basically are are basically pathways of different drugs and how they're eliminated. And, and they can uh, play a key role in, in some of the mechanisms of drug interactions that, that we often often see. We won't spend a lot of time on other transporters, but um, UDP glucuronal transferase, UGT1A1, is an important one um, for, for, the, for, uh, for insti metabolism or integrase transfer, strain transfer inhibitors. The other transporters play a role, but again, we're not gonna spend a lot of time. We're really gonna kind of focus on, on cytochrome P450 and some of those major interactions. How do these enzyme systems affect drug levels? How does that work? Yeah, so this is kind of, um, you know, again, another place where I probably wish I had a diagram, right? But, um, you know, that's the reality of doing these podcasts. But really, there's, there's three ways. You can either inhibit the activity of the enzyme, you can induce the activity of the enzyme, or you can act as a substrate for the enzyme. So when drugs are interacting together, you know, some of these things will happen. So some medications actually can act as an inhibitor and an inducer, uh, but bottom line is what we care about are the, are the creases or the increases or decreases in concentrations that happen when we have these uh, drug interactions happening. Um, in general, I kind of use a, a rough number of about 30 to 40% uh, change in, in, in levels usually will constitute a significant change in levels and might require changes in medications uh, or, or dose to kind of fix the interactions. But um, let's talk a little bit about in, inhibition first, all right? So uh, in general, drugs that inhibit enzymes known as inhibitors usually cause a decrease in the metabolism. So what you're basically doing is you're inhibiting the body's ability to metabolize the medication. So if you inhibit the ability of the metabolism of the drug getting chewed up, you get higher drug levels. And which so in general, when you have a drug that's an inhibitor, usually it's going to increase the drug levels of, of medications that are used at the same time and potentially increase toxicity. In fact, in HIV, we actually exploit this in particular, where we actually take booster drugs like ritonavir and cobicistat and use them to increase the drug levels of other medications. So when we talk about a boosted PI, we're talking about somebody on cobi or ritonavir with another protease inhibitor in, in particular, just to increase the, the dose of, of the protease inhibitor or the drug levels of the protease inhibitor by using these inhibiting drugs like COBE and ritonavir. Um, another example is uh, elvitegravir, which is in Strybild and Genvoya, has to be boosted with COBE cystat. So we use, we exploit the COBE cystat in the drug Strybild and Genvoya to actually purposely increase the elvitegravir levels so that you get drug levels that are way above the the concentrations that are required um, to inhibit, inhibit the, uh, the, the patient's virus. So these are, these are just some of the common ones, but other drugs where boosters can increase drug levels include statin drugs like Simvin, Lovastatin, um, inhibition from ritonavir or cystat can dramatically increase those drug levels and lead to, stat, to statin toxicity. So those are inhibitors and that's in general, most of the drug levels that are, that are gonna be involved with inhibitors are gonna cause increases in medications that are gonna interact. 
The other thing that can happen, we can actually have an, an inducers. So inducers actually make the, the metabolism work faster, right? So inducers actually do the exactly opposite. So because you're metabolizing a drug faster, you get lower levels of the medication because your drugs, your, your, your levels are lower because you're, you're inducing the enzyme. So one way to think about this, and I haven't said this yet, is to think of the inducers and inhibitors as Pac-Man. So is Pac-Man going really slow? So that would be an inhibitor. If it's going, and it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't, it would actually not chew up the drug as much, and the drug levels would go up. But a fast Pac-Man, right? So an induced one, right? An inducer would actually chew up the drug more quickly, and drug levels will go down. So think of Pac-Man as kind of like the a way to kind of understand some of this. And some of you who are old enough will know what Pac-Man is. For those of you who don't, I guess you got to go look it up, right? Well, inducers really are really when they're added to the HIV regimens can also can uh, can actually chew up the HIV drugs and drop and drop some of the meds. So a good example of this is the use of rifampin. So we use rifampin sometimes for TB and, some, and sometimes they'll use it also um, in certain staph infections. Uh, but when somebody is also is also on a boosted PI at the same time, the HIV protease inhibitor drug levels will be lower by the rifampin because the rifampin is going to cause those CYP enzymes to basically be induced or work harder and thereby drop on the PI drug levels. So those are kind of some basic examples and some broad overlook or kind of overview of induction versus inhibition. But know that, you know, I think a lot of these for, if you're not doing HIV care every single day, you need to have a place to go look them up. All right. Or, or, or have a, a good pharmacist that you can go to, or again, use us, use us as a, as a consult for, um, for, for your patients, for, for patient care. Is there a good and or easy way to remember all of this? I mean, preferably both. Yeah. So it's really hard, right? So a lot of this, I mean, I do this every day. So and I've been doing this for, for many years now, but it is hard to remember. So a few things to point out. So inducers are the most worrisome in my mind, I think, because they actually can potentially lower the HIV medication drug levels. And what I worry about there is that you could potentially see, see um, HIV resistance. So the inducers I worry about. So, um, so one of the, uh, the main thing that I would say is, is a good um, acronym to remember these is an acronym called PROCEEDS. Okay. So, so proceeds, P-R-O-C-E-E-D-S. So P is for phenobarbin phenytoin. So those are some of our older anticonvulsants. R is for, for rifamycin. So rifampin, rifabutin, rifapentine. O is for oxcarbazepine. C is for carbamazepine. E is for actually enzalutamide. D is for dexamethasone. And S is for St. John's Fort. So those are the common drugs that are inducers which potentially can lower the drug levels of other medications when they're combined, all right? So I think the proceeds, proceeds as an acronym is one way to help remember some of these drugs. For inhibitors, um, the, big are, the big ones that we see in HIV are, as I mentioned, ritonavir and cobicistat and some of the antifungals. So one of the things that I can use the, another acronym for the inhibitor is called VERDICT, all right? So these are the, these are the drugs, it's verapamil for V for verapamil, E for erythromycin, R is ritonavir, D is diltiazem, I is itraconazole and some of the other azole antifungals as well. And then C is, is cobicistat. And sorry, I don't have anything for T, but I think verdict is a good one to remember some of the inhibitors. So when you see these drugs on somebody's profile, or you're adding these drugs to somebody's regimen, you always have to think about, about drug interactions. And may, maybe those will help. And if they don't, sorry, but I think if you... If you remember proceeds and verdict, I think even for like testing purposes, if you're on, you know, if you're taking a board exam, for example, these, the, the, the drugs that are in proceeds and verdict are probably going to be the common ones that they would likely ask about. So if they ask you which drug's going to interact with this and this, that's probably going to be one of those drugs that I mentioned in the proceeds and verdict acronyms. So hopefully that that's one way to kind of help remember some of these, some of these meds. 
Got it. What about specific classes of drugs? Are there any that may cause issues with HIV regimens? Yeah, so the great question, Mariana, and it's one that always comes up that everybody wants to, well, what, what drugs are we worried about? You know, I'm, I got some HIV regimen, which one should I think about? So statins are a big one. Statins are the drugs that we use to lower cholesterol. Simvin, lovastatin are the ones, and those are generally actually contraindicated. You can't even use them with a lot of the CYP3, 4 inhibitors like protease inhibitors and COBE and COBE and uh, ritonavir. Um, since uh, liquid boosted uh, PI6M2s are proscobics, um, uh, based regimens and boosted instes as well to avoid in stride build. We mentioned statin levels are likely to be increased dramatically. And other statins, like even a torvastatin or a suvastatin, while not um, contraindicated, may require some kind of a dosage adjustment. But in general, I think pravastatin and even pitavastatin are probably the safest options. Although pravastatin, I think, is really not as potent. And often, um, I don't think most people um, would be using. Um, um, uh, uh, Pravastatin, uh, it may need some dose adjustment with, 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 with the Runavir, but I think from a potency standpoint, I think really most, most providers would probably be using a Torvastatin, Rosuvastatin, or Patavastatin. And out of those three, the Patavastatin is probably one that has the, has the least likely uh, chance of causing drug interactions. Antacids are another one. So for example, H2 blockers, so people who take famotidine or Pepsid, um, those are those a lot of times have to be separated. One example that comes to mind uh, is ropivirine, which is in uh, Complera Odefsi. It's also in the, the two uh, the two drug combination Jaluca, and it's also actually in the oral lead-in uh, uh, drug in the, in the new uh, Cabanuva, which we, which um, that injectable that that, um, that that we've been talking about. So this cannot be used with proton pump inhibitors either. So uh, omeprazole, lensoprazole, pentoprazole, all these. Um, uh, can't be used. It has to be separated by 12 hours with proton with H2 blockers like famotidine. Um, and then the integrase inhibitors are very complex when it comes to, to some of the antacids. For example, those uh, calcium, magnesium, and aluminum. And I think in all honesty, a lot of these, uh, even me as a pharmacist who does this all the time, the, the antacid ones, I often have to look up with the different integrase inhibitors. The calcium, aluminum, and the magnesium are really confusing for each of the different drugs and, and just really take the time to look them up and make sure you look in the labels or look in some of the reliable databases. And we'll say sacralfate, which is carafate. This is one that a lot of people think, forget about, but it does contain high amounts of aluminum and can actually bind medications like Bictegravir, which is in Bictarvi and Dolutegravir, which is in Tivica and also in Triamec and Jaluca. And these are often used in some of our modern HIV regimens today. So be aware of that. Anticonvulsants, as I mentioned before, those uh, carbamazepine, oxcarbazepine, phenobarbin, phenytoin. These are the big ones that are inducers often will drop drug levels. They can also drop levels of TAF, which is the tenofovir which is a newer version of the tenofovir that, that can even react, um, which you have to be careful about. A safe alternative here is levetiracetam or, or, or Keppra. And again, some of these you just have to know, uh, but just know that some of these are actually contraindicated with some of the drugs. And sometimes you can actually do dosage changes to, to overcome the interaction. One good example here is twice a day dolutegravir or Tivica is okay with carbamazepine, but with carbamazepine with all the other integrase inhibitors besides Valtegravir, it would be difficult for you for you to for you to use um, for you to use. Valtegravir from an integrase standpoint, Valtegravir really is probably the safest option in the class from a drug interaction standpoint. Rifamycin, as we kind of talked about already, these drug levels will drop uh, drug levels of other meds because they're they're inducers and uh, can be uh, can be problematic. And then finally, one of the last classes, again, there's more classes, but these are some of the four or five that I think are five or six that I think we should cover. The antipsychotics are really a problematic too. And then a lot of people are on um, concurrent psychiatric illness with, um, uh, with uh, 
uh, with HIV is very common. And similar to the anticonvulsants, these medications need to be looked up as well. Um, and, I, and I think um, uh, be careful with patients on quetiapine, which is Seroquel, um, Latuda, which is loracidone, and similar medications, especially the second generation antipsychotics with any of the boosters, um, that can, the drug levels can actually go up. And sometimes they're even, they're even contraindicated. So for example, loracidone is contraindicated with ritonavir or cobicistat. Um, and even ritonavir and, and, um, uh, and quetiapine or Seroquel, Seroquel levels actually increase five to six fold. So if you're giving somebody 25 of Seroquel, Seroquel, it's like giving them five or six times that amount. So you really have to be worried about these medications and make sure you, you check them to, to make sure that you're doing the right thing. Again, this isn't, the, this isn't every single class, but these are the big ones that you can take a look at, I think, that are, that are common. Is there anything else that providers should keep in mind specifically when making regimen changes? Yeah, so you bring up a very, very important question, Marianne. It's probably the most important piece of all this. So we talk a lot about adding drugs, right? When we add a drug to somebody's regimen, what's going to happen, right? Well, the same thing can happen when you actually remove medications as well. So some providers are actually switching people off of some of the older boosted PI regimens, and they might be switching to unboosted integrase-based regimens, for example. And so what happens is if you're removing an, uh, uh, one of those boosters, you may actually have um, uh, interactions that are just as problematic as adding a booster, right? So let's say somebody's on Genvoya and they're switching to Dolutegavir um, plus TAF-FTC, for example. If the patient was had their dose adjusted for their statin while they're on Genvoya and then you stop the booster, that dose level is gonna, ha- is gonna go down when you remove the booster and you're gonna have to fix the dose of the, of the, of the of, of the, um, of the statin drug. So again, these are really kind of complex interactions and it's a place where I think pharmacokinetics and pharmacy specialists, I think can really be helpful, but I don't want people to think that by switching somebody's regimen, you're not going to have any problems. Cause if you're on a booster and you switch that booster off and you stop the booster, you definitely could potentially have issues with some of the other medications that the patients may, may be on. So again, it's really difficult, really complex sometimes, but these are just some of the basics, which I think people should be, should be aware of. Ooh, yeah, there is so much to remember here. It sounds like most of this is information that people will have to look up as opposed to remembering, you know, by heart. So before we wrap up, what resources would you recommend to folks where they can go to get instant information about drug interactions? Yeah, so that's a great question too. So I think the most important place to go, at least right now, is the HIV-DrugInteractions.org. So HIV-DrugInteractions.org. And uh, that's a great place to go. There's also a companion site called HEP, H-E-P-DrugInteractions.org, which is for hepatitis. Um, these, this is for, from the University of Liverpool. It is from the UK. So um, uh, that, that's one place to go. The DHHS tables are really good. So that's actually uh, soon to be an app, which we'll be able to hopefully release in the next few months. Um, best places to go for drug interactions. The DHHS tables, actually, if you go to the guidelines for Department of Health and Human Services, again, that's what we train on all the time. The tables are really, really great. And um, they have uh, tables of all the different classes of meds and how they'll interact with PIs, non-nukes, integrase inhibitors, et cetera. Um, you know, we've reviewed these resources prior, but the Liverpool app is commonly used for, for drug interaction checking because it is an app and just be careful of meds that may not be used in the in the UK but are also but are here in the US so sometimes you may look and search something and you might not find it it might be because it's actually available uh, 
it's a, it's available, not available in the UK, but is available here. So depending on where you are and where you're looking it up, just be careful. And sometimes it actually has US data in there too. It'll actually talk about the US label. So sometimes that's really helpful for them to have done that. It's a great, it's a great website to go to. Um, but that's pretty much it, Mary. Those are the two big ones I think um, I think that I would look at. Just remember, I think I think drug interactions can be complex. And I, and I think anybody that's doing HIV care, I think um, keep the remember those, remember the um, the proceeds and the verdict. Those are the big drugs. If you see patients on those drugs or you're going to be using those medications, think drug interactions. And really, um, if you look out for the major classes, I, I think you'd be in good shape to prevent and manage most of the significant drug interactions that, that we experience. But again, thanks for listening today. And you can always call us if you need us, right? That's what we're here for. The NICA ATC and all your all, all the ATCs across the country um, are here to help you take care of your patients living with HIV, whether it be through um, through personal consultations, through clinical consultations, through the, the National Clinical Consultation Center, um, or even using some of our resources for, for this information. Please, you know, utilize us if you have questions on drug interactions. That's what we're here for. John, thank you so much for walking us through all of that. I feel like I certainly need a minute for my brain to process everything that we talked about today, you know, how drug interactions occur, the different classes and keeping track of it all. Um, we really hope you learned something new today. To learn more about Nika ATC's work and our role in ending the HIV epidemic, visit us at www.nikaatc.org. If you have questions or comments about anything that we covered today, or if you have suggestions for topics you'd like to hear us talk about, please don't hesitate to email us at podcast at nikaatc.org. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T at nikaatc.org. Stay safe and we'll see you on Thursday for our next episode of Nika in the Know. This presentation is supported by the Health Resources and Services Administration, HRSA, of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, HHS. The contents are those of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official views of, nor an endorsement by HRSA, HHS, or the U.S. government.